a little recap on where we've been. Okay, we're in Nehemiah 4. I just want to kind of catch everybody up on what has happened. So Nehemiah was cupbearer to the king Artaxerxes, right? And, and he catches word that Jerusalem, the walls around Jerusalem are in shambles, that they've been burnt up by fire. This leaves him very distraught, very burdened uh, by the fact that, that the walls around Jerusalem are in shambles, the people aren't protected, and uh, honestly, that God is not being glorified as he should be glorified uh, with these walls. So he's broken by this thing, and, and he begins to pray, and he asks the Lord to, to give him favor before the king. He asks the Lord to make a way so that he can go and, and, and remedy the problem. And so, so he prays, and, and God grants him that. He, he gives him favor before the king and gives him resources and off he goes to Jerusalem to repair the walls around around the city Uh, he gets there he doesn't immediately begin working he kind of spends three days taking survey of the land and then he lays out his plan before God's people there and 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 then we saw last week how all these families got assigned sections of walls to begin to rebuild and we, we we noticed last week that Nehemiah couldn't do the work by himself it took the community of God's people to 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 unite together to do the work that God had called them to do and so so Nehemiah uh, mobilize the people of God to do the work of God uh, in, in the city of God, which is very similar to us. We, we can't do the Christian life by ourselves. We can't do church by ourselves. It's a community of people locking arms together to, to kind of rebuild walls. And, and so we kind of saw that last week and over the last several weeks. Today, Nehemiah, not that he hasn't already experienced some opposition, but, but we're going to see uh, probably the greatest opposition that he has experienced thus far. And so I'm going to read the chapter in its entirety, chapter 4. Uh, so bear with me. It's a really, uh, really sweet tra- chapter of Scripture, and I think it'll be edifying to you. So let's, let's read together. Nehemiah 4, starting in verse 1. And praise the Lord. There are some names, but not like last week. Uh, so I was praising the Lord for that. Uh, Verse 1, now when Samballot heard that we were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged, and he jeered at the Jews. And he said in the presence of his brothers and of the army of Samaria, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burned ones at that? Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him, and he said, Yes, what are they building? If a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. Do not cover their guilt and let not their sin be blotted out from your sight, for they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders." So we built the wall, and all the wall was joined together to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. But when Samballot and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the uh, Astrodites heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward and that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry. And they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. And we pray to our God and set a guard as a protection against them day and night. In Judah, it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There is too much rubble. By ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. And our enemies said, 
They will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. At the same time, the Jews who lived near them came from all directions and said to us ten times, you must return to us. So in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall in open places, I stationed people by their clans with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, your homes. When our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had frustrated their plan, we all returned to the wall, each to his work. From that day on, half of my servants worked on construction and half held the spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. And the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah who were building on the wall. Those who, were, who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored on the work with one hand and held his weapon with the other. And each of the builders had his sword strapped at his side while he built. The man who sounded the trumpet was beside me. And I said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, the work is great and widely spread and we are separated on the wall far from one another. In the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. So we labored at the work and half of them held the spears from the break of dawn until the stars came out. I also said to the people at that time, let every man and his servant pass the night within Jerusalem, that they may be a guard for us by night and may labor by day. So neither I nor my brothers nor my servants nor the men of the guard who followed me, none of us took off our clothes. Each kept his weapon at his right hand. Amen. So there's a lot going on here. And the first thing I want to point out, as I've kind of already mentioned, is the opposition that uh, Nehemiah experiences here. Now, any time that you are, are walking faithfully with the Lord, that you're walking in faithful obedience to God, you can expect opposition to come your way. You, you should expect opposition to come your way. The thing that we got to realize is this, is that, that uh, there is an enemy, uh, there, you know, Satan, his name means adversary, which is against us. There, there is an enemy, and that enemy, uh, he doesn't really care about us so much as he cares about defaming the name of Christ. And so if we are a people that are living our days to the glory of God, to the exaltation of Jesus, then we should expect some level of opposition in our lives, uh, spiritual opposition in our lives. If you are uh, kind of half-hearted in your faith, you have like one foot in the world, one foot in the church, and, you, you, you know, and you're saying, hey, I, I'm not experiencing opposition. Well, wh why would Satan, the adversary, bring opposition to someone who's not living out their days to the glory of Christ? You're living out for your own life, not for his glory. Therefore, you know, Satan doesn't care about that. He actually doesn't mind that at all. You know, his greatest work is to destroy the work of Christ. He wants to destroy the work of Christ. He wants to destroy the Imago Dei. He wants to destroy the work of the gospel movement in the world. He wants to bring opposition to anyone who would walk in faithful obedience that honors Christ and exalts him. Opposition will come if you're walking according to his, 
his way. Now, this applies to churches too, church leaders. I mean, any church leader that is walking according to God's way should expect some level of opposition. Should expect it. If you, you are leading in a ministry, if you, if you are uh, even spiritually leading in your home, you should expect some level of opposition to come, to come against you. It, it, you. You are pressing back the, the gates of hell. Why would you not expect to have some level of opposition? Um, and, and churches, if there are churches that are preaching the gospel, that are preaching that it is God that saves sinners, that our problem is not we need better self-worth, but our problem is that we were depraved, we were, we were born sinners in need of a Savior, and the only way to be made right with God in heaven is to be found in His own Son through faith and trust in His work on the cross. If there's a church preaching that, they should experience opposition. If churches don't preach that, if, they, if there's a self-help message or there's a a message how to live your best life now why would there be any opposition to that it is not exalting to christ and so the, any church or church leader that is exalting jesus that is lifting high the cross and saying look to jesus he is lord he's the one worthy of your praise bow your knee to christ he's the only way to be saved that church those leaders should experience some level and expect to experience some level of opposition on their life and, and it would be naive of us to walk through life saying, no, 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 I'm not, I'm not going to expect that. That should not come from me. You know, no, we, we need to be prepared for that. So when it does come, and it inevitably will come, that we are prepared for how we will actually handle that. Um, and, and the thing I love about this is that, and not just this text, but I could give you text after text where God could have removed all opposition. And he didn't. God could have said, all right, Nehemiah, here's what you're going to do. You're going to enter back into Jerusalem. You're going to rebuild the walls, and I'm going to make Samballat a cheerleader for you. And they're going to just be, yay, Nehemiah, let's go, Nehemiah. And it's going to be awesome for you, and everybody's going to love you, and there's going to be no opposition. God could have done that. He could have changed the hearts of men and made that happen, and he didn't. Why? Well, ultimately, I think that it's for his own glory. It, it creates in us a diligence to walk faithfully with him and it creates in us a dependency upon the Lord that we would not have without opposition. That we would not experience without opposition. Uh, there's a quote, uh, I was actually going to save it for the end of my message, but I want to read it now. It's by historian Will Durant. He's talking about the greatness of Rome and he said this about Rome. Rome remained great as long as she had enemies who forced her to unity, vision, and heroism. When she had overcome all her enemies, she flourished for a moment and then began to die. So often our opposition, where we think it's meant for our evil, God is using it for our good and his glory. What we think, like, I'm reminded of, uh, of Joseph, you know, what the, what the enemy meant for evil, God means for good. And so, so uh, as we experience opposition, we don't need to be, woe is me, I can't handle this, I'm crushed under the burden. No, we need to expect it and know how to respond when it does, in fact, come. Now, uh, what, what you have going on here specifically, uh, uh, you have Sam Ballot who goes through just, just a number of different ways that he brings opposition to Nehemiah. Uh, now, little context here. Uh, Samballat was the governor uh, of Samaria, and, and, and he partners with surrounding governors. Now, it was a unique situation in that Artaxerxes has given Nehemiah the green light to rebuild the wall. 
And so obviously they're still under the reign of Artaxerxes too. And so, so for them, they're trying to squash something that Artaxerxes has approved to, to, to a certain level where they're not accused of treason and get their heads chopped off, right? And so, so, so they're kind of low-key uh, bringing opposition to, to Nehemiah. The first thing we see uh, response from, from Sambala and his buddies is anger. It says they got angry. Um, and, uh, and, and rightfully so. I mean, uh, if Israel is successful, it cuts off the trade route uh, and, and thus affects Sambalat's bottom line. So it, it comes down to money, uh, essentially. And so he's angry about that. He, he's he's going to lose cash flow. He's going to lose the, this opportunity. So, so he's upset about it. He's angry about it. And, uh, you know, and so he begins this, this uh, attack of opposition on on Nehemiah but you know what's funny to me too is that so often one level of opposition that comes to our life from people is one of anger I don't know if you've ever shared the gospel with someone and their response was anger that is always puzzling to me it's puzzling to me because here's what I'm saying I'm saying to them um, there is a God who loves you there's a God who loves so much that he has slayed his own son that sinners might be saved there is uh, uh, he is the hope of humanity the way out from our sin it, it, it's free it, you, you come and be saved by him it's an offer to you and the response is anger isn't that puzzling why well, because the opposition that is coming to us is deeper than surface level. It's spiritual. And, and there is an enemy and, and, and a sin nature in that individual that, that wants to be their own God. They don't want to bow to Christ. And so it doesn't matter what they offer him. Offer them all the riches and all of heaven, and it doesn't matter. They still want to be their own God. But this is one level of opposition that comes to those who are walking faithfully uh, to the Lord is one of anger. And it's like, why? I feel like I've, you know, been patient and, and, and I've guarded my tongue and I'm, I'm, I'm kind of trying to be loving and I get, a, I, I get anger. And I, you know, I, it, it doesn't make sense to me. We need to understand and, ex, you know, have the expectation that there are things going on that we can't see. There are spiritual things happening. That's why that there's anger on the other end of our, of our reaching out with in a loving way, right? So, so that's one level of opposition we see uh, here, here in the text. And, and, and that anger, the enemy wants to use that anger to steal your joy, to steal your zeal. Maybe some of you have experienced this. Like you used to maybe have a zeal for the Lord in sharing the gospel, but you encountered some kind of level of resistance, anger, rejection, and it just robbed you of joy. It robbed you of zeal to the point to where you don't do you don't you don't share the gospel anymore right like like you have succumbed to some level of opposition that has that has made you settle in either apathy or fear and uh, it was because you experienced some level of anger or opposition in that way that's what exactly what the enemy wants for us if we won't reject christ we he wants us to do nothing for him and so the way he's going to get that is maybe have us live in some level of, of fear or apathy. Second thing we see is just mockery. Um, look at what uh, Sam Ball and his buddies do. They say this. 
What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burned ones at that? And then it goes on to buy a, like in this real sarcastic way, it's like, hey, there's this wall that if a fox jumps on it, it'll it'll tumble down, it'll be destroyed. What a weak wall. Uh, Probably one of the greatest levels of opposition in our culture and context is mockery. Um, It is is uh yeah j- j- just a-, a-, a people that are um ridiculing those that walk according to the faith uh, you've seen this if you've gotten in any comment thread on facebook of a spiritual post <laughs> right it's just mockery that, that you, it's ridicule it's 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 uh how could you believe this how could you hold to these things so these you, you know whatever the ridicule and mockery is i say that to you so that you expect that so when you read those things or you hear those things, you're not so caught off guard um, that, that you're not ready to, to handle that wave that comes. Um, it is one of the primary ways that, that the evil one is using opposition to the church in our, in our culture and context is ridicule and, and, and mockery. And, um, and, and you know this to be true personally. Um, you probably have family members that mock the way you do things. You probably have loved ones or neighbors that question, um, you know, openly question the, why you go to church on Sunday. Why do you pray with your family? Why do you not participate in the same things that they participate in? There's some level of ridicule and mockery that comes uh, because you're walking uh, according to God's way. Another thing you see here is you see uh, a way of opposition is discouragement. Look what it says. It said, there was like this phrase uh, that, that uh, they were saying, um, that, that, that the Jews were saying, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There's too much rubble. By ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. One of the greatest ways that the enemy brings opposition is through discouragement. This happens in things God calls us to, like right, especially in the middle of things that God calls us to. You ever gotten in the, in the middle of a project and been like, when is this thing going to be over? I mean, the beginning's exciting, right? You start a new project. God, maybe God calls you to do something awesome, and it's like, okay, yes, I've got this vision for my life. I'm going to walk according this way. I'm pumped up. I'm excited that, that God is moving, and, and, and the end is always exciting. It's like, yes, God accomplished something great, or we finished the project, or Oh, we did these things, but isn't the middle just terrible sometimes? It's like, okay, we've got into this thing and we're too far in to stop, and we got to keep. And when, when's the end, right? And 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 so often we just hit this kind of wall of discouragement, like, and and it can and and for us, like on a personal level, it's like, okay, you're devoted to reading your scriptures, or you're devoted to leading your family spiritually, and and you've done it some, and then it kind of waned a little bit, and and you because you've kind of experienced this level of discouragement or or, or whatever, and, and and or you're walking according to what God wants you to do in serving or or loving your neighbor or whatever, and you. You, you kind of hit a wall and it's just like man i don't know if i should keep going or you've prayed for a loved one for 20 years to come to christ and you experience some great level of discouragement this is a common way that the enemy brings opposition because as we are discouraged we uh kind of woe is me we kind of look inwardly we take our eyes off the cross and we live in this kind of level of defeat. 
instead of saying, okay, I, I see the mission that God has for me. I'm going to keep plowing on and, 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 uh, and going according to that way. And we'll see how Nehemiah deals with that in a moment. Lastly, um, you have negativity. You have criticism and mockery that really, if you notice from the Scripture, it comes from those outside of, of uh, um, the Jewish people. The negativity comes from within. It comes from within. And doesn't, isn't that how negativity often works for you? It comes from the people that you love the most. It comes from those closest to you. That, that maybe you, you get mockery and criticism or anger from people outside of your circle, but within you might get just a little negativity. A, a great example of this, I, I remember when I, uh, I, got, I first got into ministry when I was 19 years old, and a church actually offered me a job. Why, I'll never know. Uh, I was there for two and a half years, and it was my character building days. And and had I worked for any other church, I probably would have been fired. I, you know, that was back when Fear Factor was a thing. So I make kids eat like pig snout and crazy stuff, you know. And uh, and so I'm 19 years old, and the way that they did this, and of course I'm I was pretty much a new believer. I came to Christ when I was 16, so I've been a believer about three years. And uh, and so I'm in this church, and they had this process where they hired you, but then six months later, they had a vote to see if they wanted to keep you. It, it was like we dated for six months, and then they decided if they were going to marry me or not, right? And, uh, and, and so that was their process. And, and so here it is. I'm working this job for six months, and laboring for the Lord. I get there. There's like five students. I'm like, why do you even need me? You know, I think I made like 50 bucks a week, barely paid for my gas to get out there. And... Um, and so the vote comes up, right? And uh, they're going to vote on me. And I was pretty confident that they weren't going to kick me out. And sure enough, it was nearly unanimous vote, except for one guy. And that guy came up to me, and he said, hey, I want you to know I didn't vote for you. I said, all right. He goes, you want to know why? I really didn't, but I was like, ah, Okay. So there was this big church in the air. Our, our church was 60 people on a good Sunday. It was a small church. GPS couldn't find this church. It was in the hollers of East Tennessee uh, that you only found it through smoke signal. I mean, you couldn't find this place. I mean, 14 turn. You, I would tell people, turn at Kay's Ice Cream, which is an ice cream store, and then good luck from there. Like, it was impossible to find. But there is in our area this big church named Severe Heights, several thousand, great church, Baptist church, several thousand people big. And so he said, you want to know why I don't, uh, I didn't vote for you? I said, sure. He said, well, you know, uh, I don't want this church to become Severe Heights. He said, I, I want to sing my hymns. I want to read from the King James Version of the Bible. I do not want this church to become Severe Heights. And I kind of looked around and I said, but I don't think you got anything to worry about. <laughs> hey, I'm 19 years old and be like, there ain't no way that, you know, that barring a movement of God that this thing is. And, and so, but, but negativity comes like that. It comes from within oftentimes, right? And, 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 and it can come from just little uh, attacks on you. Now, here's what I, I, would, I would encourage you in. Negativity, criticism, those things are going to come and that's fine on your life. I mean, but he, he, I think there should be a filter on those things for you. And by that I mean um, f f uh, that, that those things should be ran through the filter of is this from the Lord, right? Because sometimes criticism is, is good. I'm not telling you to be pie in the sky, like your head's in the clouds, you're not a realist, right? You need to be aware of what is like real around you. 
<coughs> right? If, if um, you know, you have so secluded your family that you are, you, you know, you, you don't see any lost people. Your kids are making their own clothes and their own butter. And, uh, you know, you've taken in the world but not of it a little too far, right? Like, you need some criticism and you need to hear some of that, right? Uh, however, uh, oftentimes, that's not from the Lord. And so many Christians hear it anyway as if it's from the Lord. And that's a dangerous place to be. Uh, so, so you should have a filter on your life, that's, especially if it's from other believers that say, okay, I'm going to pray about this and see if this negativity or criticism is from the Lord. One thing that I often uh, filter negativity or criticism through is this parameters. Is that person godly? Like, do they genuinely love Jesus? Not are they a churchman. I mean, do they fast and pray? Do they cry out to God for the salvation of people that, that, that are far from him? Do, do they love Jesus with all their heart? W would I send my children to this person to be discipled? If the answer is no, I typically don't listen to that. If the answer is yes, I've got really godly people in my life that have challenged me on things before, and because they're the kind of man or the kind of woman that I would trust with my kids wholeheartedly to raise them in the Lord, I know they're praying for me, I know they care about me. When they bring something to my attention, I'm like, okay, this, this bears some listening to. You see what I'm saying? And, and so, so for us, we have to have a filter that's not blind, not, not, not just completely oblivious to the things around us, but one that genuinely says, okay, where are where is this coming from we're not just accepting all of it but we're also not just rejecting all of it but we're saying we want to filter it appropriately and uh and that opposition is going to come you just need to be ready for it you need to you know whether it's a family member whether it's someone in our church someone at your work your neighbor whatever you can expect it know that it's going to know that it's going to come in your life right um now, let, let's move on. I want, I want to show you how, because I kind of started preaching this anyway, but show you how Nehemiah has kind of dealt with that, right? And, and I think he deals with it with great diligence. We have options here. We could uh, avoid the opposition. We could ignore the opposition. Um, we could um, fight it, right? I think there's probably a lot of our natural tendencies to, to get angry and to, to react quickly. Um, However, I think what we need to be is a people that does, in fact, respond to it, but respond to it in a way that is, that, that is Christ-centered, right? That, that we hit opposition head-on, but in a godly way, right? In, in a way that honors the Lord, right? And, and, and so, so I think Nehemiah does that. And, and, and what you see Nehemiah do first is he prays. There are several times in four that he prays unto God. One prayer is like, smite them, almighty smiter. You know, like uh, it was kind of a prayer. I don't know that I've ever prayed against someone, but it's like, okay, all right. He's praying that God would cast them out and deal with them, right? But he prays unto the Lord. This does several things. One, it acknowledges God's sovereignty even over opposition. It is God that sways the hearts of men and women. Not your persuasive arguments, not your charm or your winsome personality. It's God. And so we as the people of God, when we experience any kind of opposition, we pray, we go to him. Um, anytime I get a rule of thumb for me, I know my weaknesses, right? I know I can be quick-tongued. Quick I, I know I can um, say what I'm thinking, 
And that gets me in a lot of trouble. Ask my wife. Uh, it's, so, so for me, typically, if I get some kind of, you know, someone bringing some kind of level of criticism, negativity to me, I will pause on that um, at least a day. That works for me because I'm going to, if I get an email like that, I write an email and then I delete it. I write it. I delete it. I pray. I say, I need to go to sleep. I wake up. I delete it and rewrite it um, until finally I'm like, okay, I think this is spirit led. Um, clear, but, but just trying to die to myself, right? If God, if I'm, if I'm trying to lift myself up or make myself look good I want to die to that I only want the mission of God to be advanced and Christ to be exalted right and so I think that's a good response for us that we aren't reactionary to the things that happen in our life but instead that we say okay with great patience and self-control I'm going to deal with opposition in a healthy way I'm going to see it I'm going to process it I'm going to pray and then I'll respond I think that's healthy I think it's healthy for us to do. And, uh, and, and you're going to have opposition come. So when it does come, know how you need to be. Whatever, you know, some of you, that may be natural to you. It may be, it may be more natural to you to wait two weeks before you say anything. You may need to say, okay, I'm only going to wait one day. Right? Or, or some of you would just fire back like that. Right? What, however God has wired you to, to, but to be a people that are bold to, to encounter opposition, in a godly and healthy manner and be willing to say hey you might be right i'm willing to admit that right and so so anyway we, we, we anytime we experience that we need to filter it through through prayer and, and crying out to god the other thing you see here the scripture says the people had a mind to work so so they didn't get so bogged down with the opposition that the work stopped now this is important i think this is important uh because um, so often the problems become so big in our life that we attack the problem, attack the problem, attack the problem, and all of a sudden we look up and we have taken our eyes off the cross. And uh, this can happen in a church. You know, our church is governed by elders. We're elder-led. Uh, one of the responsibilities of elders, of, of any elder-led church, is to refute false teaching, false doctrine. Um, there are churches that that is probably 90% of their ministry and they forget the task that God has called them to of advancing the gospel and proclaiming it into where God has put them and to all nations. And so they would just want to bash all false teachers and the ball doesn't get moved down the field for the work that God has called them to do. But this happens to us as well, to you as well. Like there are so many problems for you to fix on Facebook and some of you are trying to fix them all. <laughs> and you just fix, and you fix, and you fix, and you fix, and all of a sudden you look up, and where is Christ in it? Where is Christ in it? We sing a song that says, as I, we look at Christ, the things of the world go, grow strangely dim. Are the things of the world going strangely dim for you? Or is the cross growing strangely dim for you? So for us, we don't have to fix every problem. We, we handle the things that we need to handle, but we need to put our eyes on to Christ. One of the ways that the enemy wants us to get off track for what he's called us to is through distraction. And how great is that distraction in our world today? How much cross 
exalting things are being preached, typed, spoken. We should be a people that are... Our main objective in every conversation is Christ and Him crucified. Christ and Him crucified. Let us be that people. The focus is on Christ and the things of the world grow strangely dim. And we'll actually fix more problems than we can fix in our own power because we just tell people, look to Jesus. Your world's spinning. You have no hope. You're walking in darkness. You continue to think that the things of the world are going to solve these problems. They are not. Look to Jesus. And so we can respond with great diligence in exalting the cross of Christ, exalting the work that Jesus has accomplished for us on the cross. Now, also, we see Nehemiah set up a guard. They were building the walls, and he set up the guard. I love this passage of Scripture. It's one of my favorite passages of Scripture because how cool is it that they worked with swords on their hip? Like, I just love that. I love that there's a level of we're accomplishing a work, but we're also need to, we might need to fight the battle. We might need to fight some enemies here, right? And, and so Nehemiah sets up a guard. Um, and I think this is super applicable to us in that we should, one of the ways that we are to fight opposition is before it happens. Meaning, are we setting up a spiritual guard on our lives, on our family's lives, on our church? Are we setting up a spiritual guard? Uh, I read this week, I thought it was a great, great kind of analogy. It said, if we knew that there was a lion roaming the parking lot out there, we would not leave as we normally leave this place. Right? I, it, when I'm leaving, I'm going to send Keith out first. <laughs> and uh, good luck, man. Hopefully, you know, that's a big enough snack for me to get to my car, you know. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's just, no, we wouldn't, we wouldn't do that. What would we do? We'd get, come up with some strategy. We'd call somebody. I don't know what we would do, but we would do something differently. We would set up some kind of protection and guard so that we don't get eaten by a lion. How much greater is the enemy who the Scripture says is a lion that roams around looking for whom he may devour? That he still, his whole ambition is to still kill and destroy the work of God in our lives. And yet, we walk through our lives with just oblivious to that, with no spiritual guard. We let our kids do what they want to do. We let our kids watch what they want to watch. We let, we let things come into our home that goes into the, the, every home of the world. We have no guard on our home. And then when everything crumbles, we're like, what happened? Where was your sword? Where was the fight? You weren't ready for opposition. You were, you were lulled to sleep by the comforts of the world. You didn't know a lion was outside. And so we have the responsibility then to say, okay, uh, we are in the world, but not of the world. We're not turning our own butter and making our own clothes, but, but, but certainly we have some level of protection over our lives to say, hey, that is not coming in my home. That is not coming in my life. That is not coming in my church. That, that there's a line that says, at this line, I'm swinging my sword. You can't cross this line without battle. And do you have that? Do you have any parameters in your personal life that says, okay, I can't joke like this with these guys. 
I can't engage in these kind of gossip conversation with these women. I, I can't do this at work. I'm setting a boundary up here that, 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 that may be okay for the world to watch or to be a part, but it's not okay for me because what I want is I, when opposition comes, I want to be ready. I want my kids to be ready. I want my church. Well, where's the line in the sand for you? If there is not one, I would encourage you to, to get one, to lead in that way and to say, hey, we, 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 I want to protect all the things I care about. I want to set a guard up that we're building a wall, but we also need to protect from coming opposition. And we're not naive to that. We want to take up our sword and, and fight the battle if it, that should be so necessary. Now, lastly, we see Nehemiah just have a great dependence upon the Lord. A great dependence upon the Lord. Look, look, look where he says, um, he, he reminds him, remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers your sons your daughters your wives and your homes guys this is so huge because so often we try to deal with our problems in every other way besides remembering the lord like we try to deal with our problems in ways like 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 even uh we say hey i just need you know a self-help book or i need uh i, I, need, I need some kind of practical information I, I need uh, you know some kind of help from uh, a counselor a fr- girlfriend or a guy friend of mine that, that can really kind of speak something no, no no run to the lord remember the lord for he is great now you know what you know what nehemiah didn't say he didn't say hey uh, remember the project because I'm great and awesome. No, he said, remember the Lord, for he is great and awesome. Guys, we have to have the habit of remembering the Lord in our life, especially when opposition comes. Because for us, uh, our tendency is often to either try to fix the problem or to cower down from the problem instead of fighting it in appropriate ways, which is first and foremost, we must remember the Lord. He goes on to say, He will fight for us. Now, they're still swinging swords. He, he says it right after, I'm going to blow the trumpet, and everybody rush to the trumpet to help us fight. God will fight for us. So, so there, there's some, some movement from us in our lives, but ultimately, we need to cry out to the Lord. We need to remember the Lord. We need to constantly go to Him to remember the work He has accomplished for us on the cross. And again, this plays back into keeping our, our eyes fixed on him and the world growing strangely dim in our view. Why? Because we, we're chasing what actually matters. We're remembering the Lord. You hear me preach this all the time if you've been here any amount of time. We don't want to waste our lives. We want our lives to count for eternal significance. We want the things that we set our lives to to not be burned up in the end. We want it to count. We want it to matter. We want the things we do in our families, our work, this church, our neighborhoods. We want it to have eternal significance. That power is not going to be wrought in us always focusing on ourselves, our giftings, our abilities. That happens when we constantly remember the Lord. We lift high Jesus. We exalt his name and we proclaim the gospel, which is that God is the one who saves sinners. We remember the Lord. We remember him and depend upon 
upon him, especially when, when opposition hits, especially when the enemy tries to attack. Don't try to find the strength within yourself. Go to the Lord. Remember the gospel. Remember the work he has accomplished for you. Remember the promises that he's given to you in scriptures. Open your Bible. Know it. Love it. Read it. Memorize it. Know who he is. Remember the Lord when opposition comes. Let's pray together. Father, you, you are abundantly good and merciful and gracious to us, a people who don't deserve such acts from a holy God. And yet, as we sang earlier, uh, you have poured out your love on us. What an incredible work. And we know, God, not only have you been so gracious to save us, which is beyond our level of even comprehension, but you have called us to the work of exalting Christ with all of our lives. The greatest work a soul can be called to. And so, Father, we know that when we are set on that work, opposition will certainly come. Um, if it didn't, then that should be what is shocking. There is an enemy that hates Jesus. Hates the gospel. Hates families that are centered on Christ and the gospel. Hates churches that preach and honor the gospel hate businesses that are devout and pointing to Jesus and the gospel pointing their employees to the gospel and so Father when opposition comes I pray that we have planted our feet on the rock of Christ, the, the confession that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And we would depend upon you to be the strength that our house needs to survive opposition in the storm. Father, there's no doubt people in this room or watching online that haven't bowed their knee to Christ. They are not saved. And even now, they're experiencing opposition from stepping into that. Ah, this is for someone else. Oh, this, maybe there's a different time. Oh, this is not for me. But it's evident that your Holy Spirit is moving in them. And so, Father, I pray that they would fight opposition and embrace the truth that today is the day for salvation for them. They would come to know Christ. Father, we love you. We want nothing more than to exalt Christ with our lives, our marriages, our parenting, our retirement, our church, our work. All that we do, we want to exalt Jesus in. Help us to accomplish that work and help us to fight the opposition that will come 
when we set to that labor. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Church, now we're going to enter.